Welcome to Disruption Now and our special episode of The Breakdown. Uh, We have a lot to discuss today, but before we get into that, I want to invite you to subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, just go down there to the right, subscribe, and also like our channel. You can keep up to date. You can get notifications about what we do. If you happen to be listening to us via podcast, if it's uh, Google Play, if you're listening to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever that might be, please subscribe and please actually uh, give us a rating. That's how more people can learn about us. But for now, I'm your moderator for The Breakdown, Rob Richardson. I'm James Keyes. I'm Tunde Romana. I'm Carlton Washington. Today, uh, we are discussing the challenges of diversity and governing. Do diversity and democracy work? Can they coexist? Or will there always be some inherent conflicts? The attacks, the, the attacks in New Zealand this week opened up that question. You had the response from the prime minister, which most people thought was well done. And she embraced diversity and showed that you can't embrace diversity and still lead in a pretty diverse country. But there were some others that responded in a very different way. Particularly, uh, I would like to really highlight the comments of a uh, senator from Australia who said essentially this. He said, we know the real cause of the bloodshed in New Zealand. It's really about the immigration program, which allowed Muslim fanatics to migrate to New Zealand in the first place. Now, I don't agree with this statement. I'm sure my, the panel doesn't agree with this statement. But the truth is, Many people around the world probably do. And we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the inherent challenges and and the opportunities in trying to lead a diverse democracy. Can it be done in a way that's effective and actually is effective for the whole? Or will we always revert to scapegoating? Will we always revert to fighting each other because we have cultural differences? That's what we're here to talk about. That's what I'd love to explore. So I want to get right to the panel. What do you think about that essential question? Is there an inherent tension when you have a democracy and diversity, and how do we go about addressing it? So, so first off, that senator said that right before getting egged, I believe. He did. He got egged, and he punched the kid. Yes, that's right. Um, and honestly, I think, yeah, the answer to the question is, yeah, uh, both can exist at the same time, but we, everybody has to participate in the democracy, and everybody has to support diversity in order for it to work. And so... I understand what that senator is alluding to because I've been to countries and places where let's just be honest, like Muslim communities have come in and taken over, but they don't assimilate to the community. And so I think that's the beginning of a lot of issues. We even have that issue in the United States of America. Um, There's a, there's a lot of people that speak about that when it comes to the border wall, the Mexican issue. And um, for someone who like myself, who does not support border wall, I also do support people assimilating um, into communities. And so I have a huge issue with people not speaking English in this country. Um, just like people in Australia, New Zealand probably have a big issue with Muslim communities popping up and not assimilating to their cultures. And that is a big problem. I think when, when you have a culture, um, you know, um, like the Muslim community that comes in, women are wearing burqas and stuff like that. Um, and most Western society and a lot of societies around the world that can be very like off-putting, shocking, um, a little insensitive to, assimilating to the community. So I think people react to that. And then you have the bigger problem of all the noise out there uh, that's creating the issue um, and, and, and separating right. the ability for people to actually communicate and get past our, our initial differences. Um, and once people do, most of the time right. we find that it, it's a lot of fun and that there's a lot of opportunity there and that um, the world is much more interesting and, 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 and a better place to be when we're all sharing well, uh, ideas, cultures, and things of that nature. 
Well, you said a lot in that statement. Uh, James, I'll start with you. What's your take? And do you have a different take? I'm assuming you do. Well, well no, I mean, I, I understand the thought that having multiple different cultures come together and try to live together makes things more difficult. Um, Which it does. Yeah. And that's, that's understandable. Now, I think it's crazy that he would say that he calls fanatical people moving in and then says that those are, that's the reason why a crazy person or someone who's indoctrinated, which that's not necessarily one and the same. This could be someone who's rational, but indoctrinated, but nonetheless, someone comes and kills them because they, they came there. Like that's ridiculous. You know, like you you own what you, when you're indoctrinated or if you're crazy and you do something that's crazy, then own that that's on you. So the, the, the um, parliamentary member who said that, is just looking to scapegoat. He's looking to, to either let that guy off the hook um, or whatever. But the, the sentiment, I under, like when you have, when you're trying to build a nation, build a government, build a people, there is a certain level of commonality that needs to, that you need to share. And that, that incre- increases morale. That makes people more inclined to want to be collectively a part of it. And so that's a give and take though. Like it's not just on one hand, you have to come in here and be just like me. Um, yeah. I personally would dislike a world where everybody was the same. And what does that, and what does that mean? I was going to challenge and Tunde, jump in if you, if you like to. What does it even mean to assimilate? Like, what does that even mean? In, particularly in America, that's not... What I love about America is that we are unique in the fact that we're actually not built around a culture. We're built around an idea, an idea that we're pursuing freedom. That's the values that we hold on. So what is it that we are assimilating to if we're... Well, that's easy question. It's like I said before, that's why I try to make it really dumb, simple, stupid with the Mexicans, for instance, like people get very frustrated when you come into a business in the United States of America, and you speak Spanish? you're speaking Spanish, like, but you've been here for five years, you know, but they might know English. They're speaking Spanish because they feel like you like, what's wrong with that? I mean, no, like the point no, what I'm, why you here and not speak the language that's spoken? Right. Is the point. That you don't made. make an effort or you want, you know, you want to build a, you want to build Mexico in the United States of America because you want to move to the neighborhood where all the Mexicans live. You don't want to come out of there. You don't want to learn English and blah, blah, blah. But are we all tribal though? Is it, is it, is it instinctively? And what is the tribe in America? Like, I, so I'm trying to, a lot of times there's Irish communities, there's Jewish communities. I'm trying to figure out what's the difference here if someone's speaking Spanish or if someone wants to express their faith. Our society has decided that English is the language of our country and we write in English, our signs are in English, we conduct business in English. That's a standard. We've set the, we've set the standard. So if someone was coming here and you're attracted to the United States of America, it's time to assimilate and accept that standard, compromise with the standard. You, it's, you know, and, and it's the best of both worlds because now when you come into someone else's school, someone else's business, someone else's community, or, or for instance, let's break it down really simple, stupid. You get your Uber driver. So many people, especially in South Florida, have a problem. Uber driver comes from Miami, doesn't speak English, can't even get in the gate and, 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 and re- ruins your night, you know, like but that happens. <laughs> but, let, but so let me just push back. Let, 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 let's say we agree with that part that you should learn English and that some folks haven't done that fast enough. Would that change the instincts of others who are not comfortable with people who look and sound different? Because you are going to speak English probably differently if you're from if your native tongue is not American. It's the first step. You not you not doing so, it, it shows a lack of respect for 
the country and for the, the community and to the society. So you need to meet people halfway when you're going into their communities, um, their culture and their countries. James, you know, you want to say something. Now, you know, that oftentimes ends up being an excuse, you know, for overall discomfort or prejudice that comes along. Now, yeah. I actually do. I am in favor of a national language, you know, a language that we have in common, just like I'm in favor of national laws and I'm in favor of national practices that we do. Um, you know, if, if you immigrate from another country and we celebrate the 4th of July, you can't make your employees work on that day because, oh, well, I'm not from here or, you know, whatever. Like there's certain things that we do have in common from a cultural standpoint that we do. And so I'm OK with that. I'm not in favor of the general xenophobia and say that, hey, I feel uncomfortable because you're here. So therefore you should be here. Now, because I think a lot of times the language issue is covered for that. And I'm not saying that's what Carlton's saying, but I'm saying that the language issue a lot of times becomes covered for that because, as you pointed out, sometimes it's just, I hate your accent. It's not even, you're speaking English, but it's just like, oh, your accent, you know, and, and then, or it's this, or it's that, it's, it's this, what you want to eat, or it's how you dress, or, or anything like that. And so, you know, any type of plurality type of situation, I also think part of the problem, though, is that we focus on the differences, you know, and we don't focus on, as you said, we're all here because we're pursuing freedom, we're pursuing free markets and free enterprise and, and free speech and things like that, or at least that's what we say. And so those are the things maybe we should focus on more when we're right. talking about a diverse society in um, well, that is operating in a democracy. But there's also nothing wrong with celebrating differences. I remember uh, Noah Trevor made a really funny point. He said, those who don't want immigration should just eat meat and potatoes. That's the only food you got. Can't do nothing else. Right. I mean, part of what makes us great is our diversity and how do we, how can we celebrate that and make people understand that it's actually a benefit versus something that is, that, that, that is, that, that is something that is bad. Right. Cause you know, look, if I look at how the prime minister of New Zealand and I actually want to play that clip and then we'll talk about it on the other end, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's actually play that clip. We cannot know your grief, but we can walk with you at every stage. We can, and we will surround you with aroha. Manakitanga, and all that makes us us. Less than six minutes after a 111 call was placed, alerting the police to the shootings at Al Noor Mosque, police were on the scene. We tried to. We are a nation of 200 ethnicities, 160 languages. We open our doors to others and say welcome. And the only thing that must change after the events of Friday is that this same door must close on all of those who espouse hate and fear. When you hear how she talked about the tragedy, she brought in uh, an imam speaking Arabic, not the native language, and showing people that they are us, we will embrace you, and showing that being different is not bad. Being different is part of the values of who we are as New Zealand. You can contrast that with sometimes what we do in America and say, which model is better and, and which one actually achieves the better goal. Let me jump in. Cause um, this has been a great conversation. I heard a few key things. Um, and this one hit me a little bit personal too, because I lived in Australia and Sydney from November of 91, we moved there and I left in uh, August of 96. So almost five straight years. And I know it as a beautiful country, kind of beautiful people, great um, uh, kind of personalities in their culture. And um, so it was just a shame, honestly, to see that this kid was Australian, that did this um, 
did this tra you know, this murders and this tragedy. And also, like, why did he go to New Zealand to do it? I mean, there's enough Muslims in Australia that, um, on, you know, uh, I, I wish he never did this at all, but it was kind of weird that he went to a foreign country to do it. But you make what's a point about immigration, right? <laughs> what was that? He, he went to another country, a foreign country to make it. It was like, weird, yeah. So I don't know. That's not the point of this conversation. <laughs> yeah. But it's, to, yeah. to, to, to Carlton's point, what, what I find interesting, because I agree with you, Carlton, Australia actually has English as their national language, actually as a, like on their books. I don't know if you would call it a law or just something that is part of their national identity, but they state that English is the law of the land. The United States is not, we actually don't have English written into our laws as the law of the land, of the language of the land in a sense. And I think I've often thought of this too, like not to say that we shouldn't have diversity, obviously, or anything against someone, a foreigner coming in and learning the language, because I'm the son of immigrants. So I'd be hypocritical if I, if I had an issue with immigrants. Um, but I, I, I remember when I was a kid and the first time when they started having ATMs that also had Spanish or certain things like that. And there's nothing against Spanish speaking people. My point is our country made it easy for people to come here and not learn English immediately because they could kind of still live their life in a bubble and still speak their native language. So I think if we had the, um, like the Australians, something that just said English is our national language to Jimmy's point, we need something to unify us. I think that would make sense. But I also believe that most first generation immigrants you'll find don't really pick up the language and in a generation or two i mean Correct. I, I don't know anyone who is hispanic or latin american descent that their parents or grandparents immigrated here but they don't know english i mean all my friends everybody i know that's latin american and 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 wasn't the first generation here they all speak fine english right the second thing is um I think what we're talking about here is really when it comes to the issue with New Zealand and, and the assimilation. And we saw this with what happened in Europe, I think a few years ago, as the conflicts in the Middle East caused more um, um, immigrants to try and migrate to Europe, like back in 2012, 2013. And for the first time, you had some of these um, clashes of cultures in the European, at least not the first time ever, but, you know, modern times type of thing. And... Um, it's weird. We complain a lot in America of us that live here about inequality and all that stuff in here. But I think our country has a great track record of assimilation. And for whatever reason, I don't have the answer, but I think, you know, when Muslim people come to this country or other groups, they kind of just slide into the American system versus a lot of other countries, including Australia. I saw it because I had a lot of friends in Australia that were Iranian, Lebanese. And I noticed that their families just for whatever reason, just didn't assimilate the same way. And, and actually, so you're on to something there. Let me just say a, a little bit on that because I, I actually think while I take a different view from you guys about English, like I don't think making, a, making English the national language does anything to solve our challenges with diversity. I actually believe part of the reason why people assimilate, it's part of the DNA of America to not be a, a culture specifically. Like most other nations were founded with a culture. The French was, was, was founded by French, and people there are French. That's what you are, period. Americans, you're American, which is a bunch of things, right? Many different cultures that came here believing in the idea of what America stood for. I believe that that's what makes us unique. I want to really get to the challenge here, though, of thinking about what diversity, the, the challenges diversity presents. 
because America's had its own. And before it was ethnic, it was it was it was ethnic in a different way. Before. Religion. There's religion. religion there's, there's there's culture. Irish, there's a lot of things. German. And I'll tell you this. I, I think that the answer really come back to the same. I think the answer is absolutely yes. That democracy and diversity can coexist. But it, I think the issue is that you do have to have shared commonalities. You have to have things that you each hold dear. And in America, that can be our ideals. That can be other things. But if you look at it, for example, if someone said to you that a sports team, which is another collective body, would be better solely on the fact if it was, if it was uh, you know, just homogeneous, you know, if it was just if all the people were the same culture or something like that, that would be ridiculous. You know, like, nobody would even give you the time of day saying, oh, yeah, they could, they could work together because they are all from the same culture. That would be utterly ridiculous. You wouldn't even give it the time of day. But if someone said, hey, they all kind of need to speak the same language or they all need to understand the same playbook, then it makes sure. sense. Then it's like, okay, they have to have things in common that they can each draw on and relate to each other through. So I don't want to get hung up on the language thing. I think that whatever the, we need to have certain things that we hold in any, we, we as Americans or in any culture where you have a democracy, where the people are supposed to participate in the governance, then you have to bring the people together in some way, because otherwise what ends up happening is that people exploit the differences. People try to maximize the differences. Right. People think that that's all that matters and then turn people against each other. And ultimately that's what you want to try to prevent. Until you're yeah. diversity. Hold on though. But, but until they brought up Europe diversity, it doesn't, re, is it required to have strife? Europe has had strife for thousands of years when it was homogeneous relatively as far as, at least as far as skin color goes. You know, so they've had different religions, different sects of the same religion. They've had different, oh, I'm from here. You're from there. I'm from this side of the river. You're from that side of the river. Let's fight. You know, so it's not that diversity creates this issue. It's that people get together. And <laughs> there needs to be some level of commonality, some level of mutual respect. But there is difference. So you're right. Diversity doesn't. But over the years, people became more homogenous, really. So it's, it's, e- it's easier in these more homogenous countries to do social benefits like healthcare and things like that because it's, people are not being scapegoated. They're not like, well, it's going to go to those other people. Those other people are you. And they're, you know, here you have such diversity that immigration is used as if we give more social benefits, that means more undocumented workers are going to get the benefits that you're paying. And people will believe that even if it will help that common worker. How do we overcome that? Or is that stuff that we always deal with? You guys are pointing out an obvious, you know, everybody's saying the same thing in a way. The obvious is that um, diversity and democracy isn't that hard. Uh, when you remove the callousness um, and the cold hearted act uh, of, uh, of out of people's minds, uh, that the, the people that would do what they did, in, the guy did in New Zealand, um, that is abnormal, first of all, you know. So how do, how do we get that kind of callousness and, and lack of empathy to, to just walk up to a man, the first guy that he saw welcomed him into the mosque, like, hey, brother, come in. How, why would you take someone's life like that? Like, that's really sick. And, and so it goes to kind of what some of you guys are saying right now is that there's other people involved in this who to manipulate and are taking advantage of our differences. And so you get rid of it when you eliminate those people, when you tell the truth and you call them out. And people have died for but that. That's hard. To, that's hard. But that's, isn't that, so I, I would argue. Let me say this really quick. Diversity has its own challenges. I think diversity and to value it is easier said than done. Coming from a different perspective that you don't have, trying to be intentional about it and knowing that you have a limited perspective is hard. I think that's hard. Yeah. Rob, I, Rob, 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 people are stupid, man. People are sheep, dude. 
you know, at most of us, most people are stupid and cheap. They do whatever you tell them to do. They go wherever you go. And so the answer to this question, and this is coming from the marketing guy here, is it needs to be promoted. We are promoting the exact opposite of what we're talking about here, which is the bullshit that made that guy think it was okay to go in and kill those innocent people in New Zealand. We're promoting that. You know, we're promoting, you know, kids to take codeine and Sprite. You know, we're promoting, you know, all the things that are horrible for you, you know. So all it takes is a messenger to promote that diversity is okay. And all the stupid people of the world would be like, damn, that's cool. You know, so like, you whatever you do for the people, you need, for people, you need the wrong leader. message. That, you need to jump in there. And I spent yeah. a whole 30-minute ride to Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale today talking to my mom about this, that that's what we need. You, you, you have people who are too moderate. You have people, I mean, I'm sorry, not moderate, but too extreme on both sides. But when someone's moderate, giving you an objective opinion, is telling you the truth and has nothing to lose, that person is going to be able to tell you the truth. And so, yeah, you said we need a leader. We need someone who is. I have no idea who that person is. Who could be an objective that everybody believes? Uh, someone who. I don't, I don't <laughs> hey, Carlton, man. If half of the world would be on him. Like, it's not. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't exist. That doesn't exist, bro. Buddha could be next door and he would have people on chat rooms calling him out, saying the most crazy things about him. Like it, it, that, that there is no pie piper that gets everybody. I, I agree with that. It, it, there isn't either. Let's never say never. Let's never say never. There was people like that. The Martin Luther Kings and the Malcolm X's of the world were the. Wait, 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 wait. You brought up a good, wait, we're going to take Martin Luther King as a quick example. That I want to get the tune day. Martin Luther King was hated by half of America. Fact. During the time he was investigated by the FBI for being a traitor of the country. So often the most, the boldest people take the, Take, take stances that are seen as radical, actually. So I want to be clear that leadership and diversity is hard. And to do it, you have to be intentional. And sometimes you have to go against what the popular majority wants. First instinct. You know, first instinct. Correct. Democracy. Democracy is harder than, than like a, 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 an authority, an authoritative government. And much harder. A, a three co-equal branches of government is harder than just having a king. And so we've already chosen the, the, the more difficult road in, in terms of that. And so to say that diversity now becomes some hurdle that we can't overcome is crazy. Diversity is just something else. But I, what I say is we do need an approach. We do need to contemplate this and say, how can we emphasize our similarities? How can we bring ourselves together more? Because we know there are always going to be actors trying to se- separate. Exactly. How, how do we do that? And that's, that's, that's what I want to move to and tune day as you jump in. How do we focus on that? I think it comes back to what <clears throat> I guess the foundation of our topic tonight is, is leadership. Um, you, you alluded earlier to the, the um, prime minister of New Zealand and her immediate comments afterwards about, you know, these victims were part of the, New Zealand and they're all of us. What she did uh, with the way she responded was set a tone for the country. And yep. What Carlton's comments reminded me of um, was a really good article I read. It's probably back in 2013, 2014, kind of as the height of all those videos of the police killings. Remember that when I was kind of new in 2012, 2013, and then kind of got, we saw a lot of it kind of on social media. And this um, retired police officer who had worked in the Midwest and the South, he made a really good point in his article. He said, look, these police departments, I've worked in many of them, you know, I probably worked in five or six over his career, different states and all that. And he said what he found was that basically in every single one of them, around 70 percent 
of the officers there were just like moderate, normal people. You had about 15%, which were the altruistic that want to save everybody. And then you had 15%, which were the crooked guys that were beating people up and taking bribes and all that. And he basically said it all came down to the leadership of the culture of that department. And he said, if the leader kind of skewed a little bit more towards the negative side, that 70% block would then kind of overlook, some of them would start participating and it will kind of bring the morale in that direction. He goes, if the leader skewed the other direction, the altruistic direction, the big 70% block would kind of shift a little bit that way and it would carry the ball that way. And the reason why it was an interesting article, I never forgot it because at the time I was working at a big, um, one of the largest financial services firm in the world. And we had issues. Um, There was someone, believe it or not, at the local level that was running a Ponzi scheme uh, that got caught by the feds. This was kind of a few years after the Bernie Madoff and all that stuff. And it made me realize that it's probably the same thing in my big company, that if you look at each office, there's probably 70% of us sitting around want to do the right thing for clients and we're just kind of going through our day. Then there's probably 15% of us that really thought we were saving everybody and helping them with their finances in that way. But then unfortunately, there's probably 15% of us that did what these guys did. And so what I think is it all comes back to leadership. And leadership in the culture, but and, and what, but I think what we found in going back to the Australian um, minister that made those comments, and even some American politicians, um, and I would say more so in the Congress that we've seen. Um, I think the guy's name is Steve King, who kind of got censored by his own party in the Congress because he said some real like things like "I'm a proud white nationalist" and all that. Like I don't think under the leadership of prior presidents, let's say under. Ronald Reagan, or even George W. Bush, for example. I don't think that these guys would have felt empowered to say this because I remember after 9-11, no, they when there was, as much as flack as George W. Bush got for kind of being racist or whatever, when he there was very clear reports of Muslims getting attacked, yep. he did something similar to the prime minister of- That's um, exactly what he did. He, he said, we have no conference. Yep. All these imams behind, he was like, yo, Islam is- a good, you know, um, not a good religion, and he wasn't promoting it, but meaning Islam is a peaceful religion. Yes. We're not at war with Islam. We're just at war with these terrorists. With and, these, yep. and I think whether people, everybody agreed with him or not, it was kind of a statement from the leader of our country saying, this isn't going to fly here. And, that, and that's actually, that's a good transition because I want to come back to something Carlton said earlier. When he talked about the attacks in New Zealand, he made a good point. Look, those were extreme attacks. Those are something that doesn't happen that often. But I will say this, it takes little things over time to make the, what was seen, what seemed to be extreme more normal. And what we have to guard against is every single day making Islamophobia okay, making racism okay, whatever you want to say, whatever the ism or the phobia is. And how do we get leaders and identify leaders who understand that? Because that is separate and apart from whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever your philosophy is, you can have moral values that are universal and encompassing. How do, how do we, how do we, how do we focus on getting more leaders in positions of power that have those type of traits? This is the whole trick right now. This is what you you have right now going on. So even Bloomberg, man, backed out of, from what I know of, of the next yeah. election, I'm bringing him up because he has, he's, he's very well funded. He's a billionaire. He's very wealthy. But to see a guy like that back out of an election because of party politics is still scary to me and disturbing to me. And so to answer your question is, as long as you have guys like that backing out of politics, 
because they have something to lose. I don't know what he has to lose or what he's afraid of. You're never going to get this. So what it's going to take is the person that has nothing to lose, who either has the, their own backing or it takes someone else backing that person has nothing to lose, who is preaching and doing and actively living objective, um, uh, common sense, moderate, a lifestyle that benefits uh, the people as a mass. And, and until you get that, you will not change these things. So what's missing is the money because you have people that are willing to do that, but they don't have the money. And then you have the people that have the money and then they don't want Google to backdoor them into their, I think it's, know, their phone and, and expose them for whatever little that they're <laughs> right. I, which, I, I don't know. Which, which yeah. is a whole another episode which that we should, real, which is real. Now Bezos can run for president. So we're yeah. Good. Yeah. He could, he could, but like, this is the next movie, bro. You know, you know, Zuckerberg, Google, all these guys are like, Hey, Mr. Candidate, um, we need to talk to you about something. <laughs> you know? That's the truth that's going on right now. And that's why you have people like not speaking up because everybody's afraid that whatever little deep, dark secret they have. So you need a guy out there. I don't, uh, no, no. James, James. No way we can, the, the hero worship, man. Yeah, that's for the comic books, man. It, you can't let the people <laughs> off the hook. It's talking about democracy. The and people need a leader, bro. They need a but leader. De- but in democracy, the people pick the leader. So the, you're getting a leader that the people are picking. Now, I agree with you that party politics should not, you should not be subverting the will of the people, whether it's in a primary or whether wherever it is. But is that the leader's fault or is that the people's fault for not being engaged enough? Oh, well, well I, I, I think that you get the leadership and a democracy that you deserve. And so if you don't show up, if you don't vote, then you are actually enabling people who, dis, who you disagree with to take and the reins and run with them. And yeah, so the not real not leaders, are, the real leaders are in hiding, Jimmy. There's leaders, there's four leaders in this group right now. And I can tell you, we, I mean, uh, with us and all other friends, we're like, man, you don't know if you want to step up to the play for that. You know, we're not. Well, yeah, we're you, not you go out and you put yourself on the line for everyone. And yeah. then half of those people will hate you for it. Yeah, yeah but tune day. And then I want to, we got to get ready to wrap up. I think what happens is periods in history provide the opportunity for either one. And I think we've seen this for millennia that, after a downturn in an economy, when most people are looking for a finger to point as to whose fault it is that they lost a job or something like that, it tends to allow the, the rise of the ones that are divisive. And when things are really good, it tends to promote the rise of those who are less divisive. So I think we're in that moment now where... Well, but how just, do you explain 2008? Like how do you mean? Was in 1933. <laughs> How did in 2008, like the sky was well, falling. Because yeah, I think what happened is, like, that's no, but that's a good question. But, but that's a good question because I think on both sides, right? 33 and 08 were interesting because the country was stressed out and it, it was kind of like the bottom, right? Everybody's like looking for something new. And I think people were on both periods looking for, you know, without being cliche about it, right? Hope and change. Like the idea that we want to get out, we want to get better. I think people wanted change with Donald Trump, too, honestly. So it's no, a matter I agree, of. But I think the difference is that. And, and there's a lot of differences. I mean, one is um, FDR was a lot more, I think, forceful directly at the beginning than Obama was like about the banks and all that kind of stuff. We, we all agree. What happens is. Yeah, that's the end of stipulations. Result earlier in that case. And then you also had within 10 years, you know, the Second World War which got everybody's attention, just focused on that. That's true. And I think with Obama, you know, it was, it was a slow recovery. So, and it, 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 maybe people didn't feel like they were benefiting from it. 
And it's, we still had these divisions by 2008. Also remember, Obama's very presence being the first non-white leader of the United States also just created natural tensions. So I think there's a little bit of, you know, nuances with all these examples. But in general, we find that like with the, uh, Germany in the 1930s and other examples, that when there's civil unrest due to economic downturns, it just usually leads to the ride of more, rise of more of a divisive leader. And I think that's more proven in history. Right. So, look, uh, I just want to get ready to wrap up this point because we, we've spoken a lot about this. But at the end of the day, it's the people's responsibility to make sure that they understand who is leading them and hold them accountable, whether it be Trump, whether it be Obama, whether it be George H.W. Bush, who's ever in charge. Like, don't just sit back. Even if you happen to be a Republican and you believe in some of the things that a Republican president is doing, don't just accept it at blind allegiance that they're doing what they say they're going to do. Same thing with Democrats. And we have to be willing to hold our leaders accountable because if we check out, uh, then we lose our liberty. As we say often, the, the eternal price, the, it's a, a vigilance is the eternal price of liberty, which means you got to stay woke. You got to stay awake to stay free. That's what it's, that's what it's about. We got to keep fighting. We have to keep being involved. Rob, that's, that is, that's, that's the point right there is that the people can't check out. And when you live in a society where half the people don't vote and then the, the quarter of the people say, when you elect somebody, just let them do what they want to do then that's really not a functioning democracy. You know, like the, the, the point of our government is that the people are in charge. And so the people need to take that mantle. Like I said, I, I'm not waiting for Iron Man to come save the day. <laughs> we, need, we need the people to step up and demand better from our leadership, from our leadership in any form, in our leadership in business, leadership in government, everything. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. So stay woke, stay free. It's the only thing we got to do. So we have to stay involved. That is our charge to you. So don't just take what we say at face value. Go talk. Go debate, go embrace diversity. But to do that requires you to be intentional. It requires you to step outside of your comfort zone. It requires you to be uncomfortable. Go on Fox, have debates. I don't think the Democratic Party, I've thought about it a lot. I've had the debates with my uh, illustrious panel before offline. No, they should, they should not remove themselves from Fox because they're the biggest cable news network in the nation. Whether you like it or not, have the debate. We are willing to have the debate. I'm willing to have the debate with Tucker Carlson. Whoever wants to have a debate, let's have it. Because that's what makes America great. That's really what makes us great. Diversity of thought, diversity of experience, and diversity itself. That is America, and that's the best we can do. I'm Rob Richardson. I'm James Keyes. I'm Tim Bailey And I'm Carlton Washington. We'll see you next time on Disruption on a special episode of The Breakdown. <laughs>